0: Have you ever wondered what makes someone clean or unclean in the eyes of God, at least the Old Testament God? Then stick with me and find out. This week in worship at Concord, we're going to be talking about Acts chapter 10, which is the story of Peter and Cornelius, who both receive visions, which ask them to go beyond what their comfort level is, to go beyond the boundaries they've set for themselves. There's a very specific part of it that's really interesting and strange. Peter has a vision on the rooftop of a sheet descending from heaven with clean and unclean animals and God commands him to eat, to eat all of them, to clean, cook every animal on that sheet and to eat it. And so what is it with the deal? Why is Peter so concerned about not eating unclean things? Well, the first thing that we need to know is that the first appearance of this idea of clean and unclean animals is actually in Genesis. There are two flood stories, two flood narratives in Genesis. And the one that all of us grew up with is the one with animals coming two by two. You might have sung the song of God said to Noah, you are going to build an arky arky, right? And there's two animals, the animals, they come in, they come in by twosies, twosies. (laughs) Children's song about the Noah's Ark. But that's only one version of the story. It turns out there's also a priestly tradition or an insertion into the story by priests who lived later on of a second Noah's Ark story. And this story has animals coming in two by seven. So unclean animals came in by twos, and the clean animals came in by seven. And this is a way to put back into the creation story, the narrative of these unclean and clean animals. So where does this rule come from? For this, we have to turn to Leviticus. Now, Leviticus, if you're like me or most people in the world, If you've ever tried to start at the beginning of Genesis and read all the way through the Bible, my guess is you got caught up somewhere in Numbers or Leviticus. Leviticus comes number three in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. And Leviticus is the story of uh, the rules, the rules that the priestly class is going to have to live by. If you remember in the Exodus story, Aaron is made um, the chief priest for the people of Israel as they leave Egypt. And um they are this family will be called the levites and they become the priests so if you were going to be a priest in the temple you had to be a levite and so leviticus is named after the levitical tribe who were the priests and so the rules in leviticus only apply to the priests at first and these are the rules of how to be holy how do you be a holy person if you're a member of the tribe of Leviticus, of Levi, and then that spreads out throughout the book of Leviticus to the whole population. What does it mean to worship God? What does it mean to be a holy people? What is going to set us apart as a nation for God? The cleanliness rules, the rules about what makes someone clean and unclean, appear in chapter 11, and they go through um, 15, but they go a little bit farther than that and they're really complicated. There's there's a lot of nuances in them. And the purity laws are intended originally for the priests. So they are intended for people who are coming to the altar of God. They're the ones performing the sacrifices on behalf of the people of Israel. And they were really only intended for the priests to keep. So throughout the Old Testament, the only people who have to keep their very, very strict purity laws are the priests. When we get to what's called Second Temple Judaism, so that's once they've returned to Jerusalem and they've rebuilt the temple with Solomon, uh, they spread these purity laws out to everyone. So now everyone must follow these rules in order to be clean, to be a part of the tribe of Israel. And so for the first thousand years of Israel, it was only the priests. And now for the next thousand years, it applies to everybody. So everybody has to keep these purity laws. And so you need to know what makes you clean or unclean. I should mention at this point that becoming unclean and then getting clean again is not a difficult thing. You might remember the story of Naaman who has leprosy and Elijah goes to see him and says to him that all he needs to do is to bathe himself in the river seven times and he will be clean. That's not that hard to do. And so you can become unclean and then become clean again pretty quickly. It's not that hard. So it's not like you're condemned forever if you become unclean forever, even still today. If you were to break one of these laws, if you were the type of Jewish person who kept, who followed these laws, then becoming unclean is not, it's not the end of the world. That's not a huge deal. You just atone for them and you become clean again. So what makes you unclean? There are, there are rules. There are some guidelines for you to follow. One of my favorite ones um, is you sh- you shall not boil the child in its mother's milk. So, for example, you couldn't have a hamburger, a cheeseburger, because you have hamburger made from cow, right, and cheese made from the mother's milk. So you can't have cheese on your hamburger. That's the idea. Um You also can't have meat that's been mangled in the field. You know, your animal gets attacked by a wolf or a coyote around here or whatever. You can't eat that meat. Unfortunately, you just have to throw it away. Um, You can only have animals that have divided hooves and chew cud. So if it has a smooth one hoof instead of a cleft hoof and it doesn't chew cud, it eats something else, then you're not supposed to eat it. Your fish must have fins and scales, so no eels. <laughs> they must have fins and scales. And then there's a list of 20 prohibited birds that are very specific. There's 20 birds you can't eat. Um, you can't have winged insects, so no, no catching bees and eating them. You can have insects of other kinds. You could have beetles. We have um, John the Baptist eating locusts later in his story. But you can't have winged insects. And you also can't have meat that still has the blood in it, so no rare steaks. These are all designed to set you aside as a person who worships God, who follows the one true God. And there are are some reasons that we have tried to create to justify these rules. And the most common one is the idea that they're basically cleanliness codes. So, you know, you can't have pig because Pigs have trichinosis and it would kill you, right? Um, But, one, they didn't know anything about the germ theory at the time. So they weren't creating these rules to avoid deadly germs. Two, if you cook the pig, it's clean and you can eat it. Um, So there would be no reason to have a prohibition against all pig forever. Um, You know, you could just cook it like all the other meat that you're required to cook until there's no blood left in it. and so there's something deeper about these rules. It's not just to keep people clean. Um, you know, one of the rules is you can't have mixed fibers. So you couldn't wear a coat with cotton and wool in it. You couldn't wear pants that have polyester and rayon in it. Um, you can't have unnatural fibers either. So polyester's out. There's nothing. There's no health reason for that. There's no cleanliness reason for not mixing those things also unclean for reasons that didn't have anything to do with food. So you could become unclean um, if you have a physical deformity of any kind. So if you have, um, you know, if you were born with a physical deformity, if you had club foot or um, a cleft palate or, um, you know, you were born with not all your fingers and toes, that kind of thing, you couldn't have it, but it had to be something that people could see. So they didn't know, like, some people are born with one kidney. Fine, because they couldn't see it. So you couldn't have anything on your body that people could see that obviously made you different. So you also couldn't have things like bodily discharge, right, which is kind of gross. But if you had a runny nose or a cough or um, a seeping wound of some sort or um, you were a woman and you were menstruating, you're unclean. No bodily discharge. If you'd had contact with a dead body, you were unclean. Someone had to have contact with dead bodies, right? You have to have an undertaker. So that person was ritually becoming clean and unclean over and over again. Um, You couldn't have a skin disease, right? Leprosy we know about, but if you had acne, right? You're out, you're unclean. Acne is not contagious. There's no health reason for that. Um, You couldn't have defects in your house. So there was mold you're out. And here's the really interesting part. You were unclean differently depending on whether you had a male child or a female child after f- childbirth. So if you give birth to a, a child, you were unclean for a certain number of days. And any woman who's given birth to a child understands this. <laughs> but if you were given birth to a male child, you were unclean for seven days. So no one could come near you for seven days. And then ritually unclean for 33 days. So you'd have to Wait 33 days before you could go to the temple. If you had a female child, it doubled. So you were unclean for 14 days, nobody could come around you. You were ritually unclean for 66 days. And there's no health reason for that. The only clear reason for that is that male child children had more value in the eyes of their society. And so the uncleanness was more of a punishment. There's no health reason for that. And so what really is behind this clean and unclean system is the idea that some people were different, that some people had things that made them abnormal, that made them outside of the community, that made them not part of the tribe in the way that the tribe wanted them to be. And so these physical things, these visual things were reminders of their abnormality and that they were different, that they didn't fit into the group. And when your group is what keeps you alive, when you live in a world like the the Hebrews did and like the early Israelites did, where your survival depended on being part of a community that pulled together and protected one another, that only had strength and was only protected because they could stand up against forces that were bigger than them, where they were in the middle of a world and a culture and a community where they were different, they stood out. You know, when the Romans came, the Romans were the dominant force, they were different. Then these clean and unclean laws, the idea of keeping kosher, the idea of, of maintaining cleanliness, of separating oneself of distinctly identifying yourself as part of the community by these practices is what kept you alive. And so when you were abnormal or different and you didn't follow the rules, when you stood outside of what was considered the community standard, then that was an actual danger to the community and to the survival of your people. And so I think and some people agree with me that this unclean and unclean thing in the Old Testament was more about community identity. And it was more about what made you a Hebrew person, what made you someone who was worthy of worshiping God, of standing at the altar, of being a part of this community. So The question for us as we come together and worship on Sunday is what are the things that we think make people clean and unclean? the things that we mark as abnormal and as different? What are the things that make people other? And how do we exclude them from our community, whether consciously or unconsciously? How are we requiring people to follow these purity laws in order to be good enough to be one of us?